This is the After Party, live with Kim McAllister and John Daly. Yeah. Kimmy, 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 Kmack. <laughs> After Party music. Hi, John yeah. Daly. I am well. Uh, more coffee. I've been uh, experimenting with one cup of coffee before the show, just because somebody said it was a little more animated, and my fear is being a little too sleepy. You have to don't but overthink I, it. Just but be I know, but I don't want to be, be obnoxiously yourself. like yeah. wired. But I also don't want to be like, yeah. hey Kim, good afternoon. <laughs> I'm in my lull for the day. How's it going? Uh, There's something um, to presentation. You know what Mark brings every yeah. day because he's on like seven or eight uh, espresso shots. The, yeah, the good stuff, too, from Coachella Valley Coffee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got a super sticker, and I have questions. Already. Because I want to thank William for the two bucks, but I said yesterday, Michelle, and right. John thinks it's not that. Well, if it was, it depends on whether or not it's the Americanized pronunciation. If it would be Italian, I think it would be Di Michele. Di Michele. And I said Di Michele. So, William, so we, have, we were, uh, we're wondering yeah, how you pronounce your name because we don't want to get it wrong. But thank you for the $2 right off the top. So appreciate yeah. and that. And I find that the person involved is the authority on how they pronounce their name. Yeah, right? usually, right? Yeah. Um, so thank you for being here on the After Party Live. Boy, do we have some fun stories for you. A lot of animal stories, a lot of fun things. And one thing I saw on Facebook last night from a friend of mine who's a photographer, like a video photographer for one of the local news stations, and he was driving through Hillsborough when he came upon... Hillsborough, that's near Atherton, isn't it? It is. It's in the the hoity-toity part of the Bay Area. Where they have concierge police services. He came across this fogbow. Have you seen a fogbow? I've seen a rainbow. So. I've seen a double rainbow. I've even seen a moonbow. I've seen a lot of fog, but I don't think I've seen a fog bow. Here's a picture from Josh. He showed us a picture of this fog bow, which I find fascinating. And this is why I wanted to show it to you. Oh, somebody moved the fog bow. Now I don't have access to it. Do we have the fog bow photo? Well, while you're waiting for that, William says John is correct. <laughs> Thank you, John. Either one is fine. Uh, John's correct, but either one is fine. But still, he did say that was correct, so I appreciate that. So this fog bow seen in Hillsborough, it looks like a rainbow made of fog, like an arc arc made of white. Yeah, it has it's colorized in a a a little bit, but it's hard to see the colors. So. Uh, Josh said, I've seen colorful rainbows in the fog before, but I don't remember seeing a white fog bow before I saw the one like I saw this morning near Hillsborough. He looked it up and on Wikipedia, uh, a fog bow, sometimes called a white rainbow, is a similar phenomenon to a rainbow. But as its name suggests, it appears as a bow in the fog rather than the rain. And because the very small size of water droplets that cause fog smaller than 0.05 millimeters. The fog bow only has very weak colors with a red outer edge and a bluish inner edge. And other than that, it just looks like uh, smog bows probably. Yeah. John other has a good that, question. There's, are there smog bows? I don't, I don't think there's smog bows, but although maybe? I think you need to be careful with the term know. white rainbow. Cause out of context, that might sound uh, suspect. Well, I mean, it's, you know, looks like fog is white, right? 
Yeah, I'm just saying, like, you know, if you're a group of people, you probably wouldn't want to use the term I'm white rainbow. I'm not making it. I'm not about to make this political. I'm just, that's what it looks like. <laughs> it's, it's called humor, know. and sometimes if you have to explain I don't know what it, happened to my really picture. Funny. I put the picture so, in there, and now it's gone, so I don't know. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, moving on. So let's go to, um, let's go to these water birds. Uh, water birds. Yeah, this is pretty cool. So I have a screenshot here. Just, I think I have a screenshot just to show you what these birds look like. Um, so these are the water birds and you can see they've kind of festooned, uh, their beaks, huh. uh, with, I guess it's stuff. kelp or stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So two greater crested grebes, uh, surprised, uh, a photographer with an extremely rare courtship dance, 28 year old Peter Martin, a self-employed photographer and nature enthusiast had front row seats to an amazing sighting from the comfort of the Malachite or Malachite bird hide set in the wilderness national park along, wow, there are a lot of difficult to pronounce names here, Langvlue Lake in South Africa. Uh, why don't we just go to the video so you can check this out. This is a mating dance, like a courtship uh, mm. ritual between two greater uh, crested grebes. So they're kind of uh, checking each other out. They're shaking their heads. They're kind of looking left to right. Yeah, I think they're digging each other. It's all the head they, shaking, yeah. Yeah, what do you think? I think they're into each other. I think there might be a second date. And now they have to go get the goop from the sea to tie themselves together? Yeah, that. well, that was for the uh, the candid shots. Oh, you okay. Know, when they have, the, cool. they have a photographer, a professional fo photographer there. I so found I the fog. Pretty fun. I found the fog bow. Look at that. There's the fog bow. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Okay. So you can see kind of the blue underneath and the, the there's a kind of a tinge of red on the top that's a fog uh, bow i have uh, never seen anything like that thank you oh, there you go john that's for please you please don't bring in trump <laughs> uh <laughs> trump really doesn't get enough coverage i um, love it i don't really that see was the in color Hillsborough. i don't really see the color but i guess maybe it's the fo the, the photo it's like on the it's on you the can kind cusp. of see underneath the how it's uh, the underneath well, the of the arc contrast. is tinged blue. Yeah, I mean yeah. it kind of looks like contrast to me between light and dark. But I'm sure the the camera's not 100% picking it up. What a phenomenon, though. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. Um, and then you have the story about the um, there's been this uh, a oh, lot of buzz about Frosty, Frosty the orca. The orca. No, yeah, not the yes. snowman. <laughs> no, Frosty the orca is a very unusual white orca calf that was seen Sunday in Monterey Bay swimming with its mom what and another pod of orcas. Uh, yeah, it's been, it was first sighted in 2019 when it was an, a baby, but it was seen again over the weekend. A videographer mama. took, oh yeah, beautiful. A videographer took overhead footage of this white four-year-old nicknamed Frosty swimming parallel to five other killer whales. It's so beautiful. Uh, and we do have video. It. I had to find yeah. some video that wouldn't get a copyright strike. Oh, um, but yeah. But you're, I got about 26 seconds of it if you want to. Cool. Let's out. see it. Yeah. This is, I think, is this just from KSBW? Uh, no, this is from another source because we don't want okay. a copyright strike. <laughs> Here we got go. it. Look at the difference. Really cool. That's yeah. Frosty. Frosty the orca. So the videographer took this overhead footage. Frosty is now four years old. Um, and yeah, it's a striking white. A marine biologist and owner of the tour company Monterey Bay Whale Watch says that um, 
Frosty is small and narrow compared to some of the bulky adults and lacks their distinct circular white on black markings. Appears like a white dolphin in the lineup, but not. So it's the just striking adults. white. Was that, was that the nice way of saying the obese whales? <laughs> the bigger, the big chunkers. Yeah, uh, the others are black, so Frosty just stands out. Yeah, white rainbow, uh, white uh, orca. Hmm. Okay, oh, what are uh, we doing here? Mm. <laughs> that was unintentional. Something everyone can get behind, and that is our new friend, the California State Bat. Tell me about this guy. Oh, this oh, is, yeah. We apparently needed a bat here in California. So Senate Bill number 732, signed by Governor Gavin Newsom this month, established the Pallid Bat, P-A-L-L-I-D, the Pallid Bat, as California's official state bat. And it was picked because of its contributions to the state. Did Pallid you know we bats, were missing a state bat? I did not. I could have gone through my life never knowing this. But now the pallid bat has, has come forward and everything feels right. The pallid bat eats insects like mosquitoes, wasps, Ooh. thank you, oh, I, yeah, and flies. Hey. And bats have provided more than a gazillion dollars worth of pest control to California agriculture. Bats also eat, eat bark beetles and wood borers, which help reduce wildfire risk in California forests. And pallid bats, like this fella here, live in California's deserts, oak woodlands, coastal redwood forests, and high up into the pine forests of the Sierra Nevada mountains. So, uh, Harry coming through. Uh, yes, we need a state bat. The giants can't. Oh, <laughs> hey, oh. Uh, the pallid bat is medium-sized, pale golden color, big ears, and can be found patrolling the night skies in California. They live in colonies. They have a language of calls to communicate with each other as well. And giving the pallid bat a designation means that it gets support from several wildlife and bat groups. The author of the bill says it'll help promote appreciation, study, and protection of bats in California. Bat, bat groups. I like this. Big ears and hangs out at night. Uh, I can relate. Mm. I can relate, definitely. I have a bat that lives under the eaves in the front of my house. Does he look like that? No. Is he He's eating your small, mosquitoes? I'm trying to... Fi- how do they eat the mosquitoes? Do they just fly into them and just kind of like nom, nom, no. nom, try to get them really fast? It's, ec- it's echolocation. So um, bats send out a signal and they it bounces off things and they can tell what's flying around based on the size and location, I guess. Yeah, but how and do you so keep up with mosquitoes? That's, they, that's fascinating. They know. They send out signals that are constantly well, I know, but bouncing like, back Mosquitoes move fast. I don't know if you noticed. But yeah, no, but bats, that's, that's, that's their main food thing that they eat wow. is mosquitoes. Yeah. Well, you know, West Nile was um, detected in in Petaluma, so uh, I'm I all for that. I heard that. Yeah, there yeah. was a bird found in Schollenberger Park, I think. Yeah, this so. happens every year or so. Yeah. So, good. Bring on uh, the bats. Speaking of uh, being drained, the oh, IRS. No. <laughs> the IRS. And I love this photo, uh, the, or this, you know, this photo uh, here of uh, hands. Yeah thumbs up in front of the IRS logo because this was on their website because this really represents how people feel, right? When they think of the IRS, thumbs up, dude. The IRS said Tuesday, it will test a free electronic tax filing system early next year in 13 states. That's cool. Uh, With the agency estimating that hundreds of thousands of taxpayers will participate in the limited rollout. The agency earlier this year announced it was developing a free tax filing tool as a way to save Americans money. Wow, government actually doing something for the people. That's weird. Mm. Americans spend about $11 billion each year on tax preparation. Isn't that insane? Yeah. $11 well, billion dollars to pay your tax 
<laughs> just insane. to get to the point where you can pay your taxes. Right, 11 right? billion mm-hmm. just to pay. Uh, yeah. Here are the first states that will roll out the program. Arizona. Here it is. California. Yeah, baby. Massachusetts and New York. Additionally, residents in nine other states that don't have any income tax may also participate. Those would be Alaska, your favorite Florida, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, another favorite of yours, Washington and Wyoming. Um, the program stems from last year's Inflation Reduction Act, which directed $80 billion in funding to the agency and tasked them with uh, assessing the feasibility of providing a tax filing system. I think this is um, this is long overdue. What's interesting, though, is and I, it's, I think it's kind of like, you know, a Quicken or an H&R Block tax system to help you go through all the questions and help you file your taxes. Yeah. But it's being beta tested in these states. What happens if their software jacks up your taxes and messes everything up? Then does the IRS take responsibility for the incorrect tax filing? Well, I mean, I they're the ones that have the their final software. say on whether or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but they're the ones that have the final say that you know, your tax return is accurate. So if they're saying it a- is accurate, I imagine you would have a valid complaint if they came back to you and said, you know, our system, they would have to take responsibility for right, that, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're the ones that did it. Um, I have so. But a lot of people do the same tax return. Like I handle my mom's taxes. It's the same mm-hmm. tax return every year, right? There's yeah. no reason for her to pay money to somebody to, to right. tell her what we already know. And uh, it's just cut and paste and cut and paste. So um, yeah. This is going to benefit a lot of people, and I think it's beyond overdue. So I good, say good. yay. Yay, yay, yay. So in Petaluma, there's this yard where someone that yard. does art. Yard. There's this yard that, and it's right on a main thoroughfare, and you can see these statues oh, rising like only up. Only two blocks from the Whole Foods. It's true. And these are are statues, metal sculptures that are usually showcased at Burning Man. But it's very interesting because they're right in the center of town. Now comes this story out of Oakland. This car, also a Burning Man item, it's called the Turtle Car. It is now uh, apparently in Oakland, riding around Oakland. Uh, Somebody saw it out near Lake Merritt. Uh, so SF Gate got the word, and they went and tra- tracked down this art car. It's called Project Empire. It was built over eight years, cost $600,000 to build this thing from start to finish, and that doesn't count labor or overhead. The 25-person construction team included two full-time metal fabricators, sound designers, an automotive painter, electrical engineers, a user interface designer, and a revolving cast of high schoolers. Uh, The vehicle, I guess, I don't know. It's very interesting. It's a 35-foot vehicle, has two light-up spikes on top. You can see those big kind of horn-looking things on top. A jet engine on the back, which takes up about a third of its length, contains a fog machine. Speaking of fog bows, the car is also equipped with 13 high-end Meyer speakers, which broadcast stereoscopic sound collages of rocket noises and archival NASA sound bites designed by... Uh, someone who works at the sound division in Lucasfilm. So it's very interesting. Yeah. I'm guessing that jet engine is not functional. I'm just wondering, is it safe in Oakland? Because this is a $600,000 thing. Now, granted, if somebody stole it, you know, there's only one. So it's not like it's not going to stand out in a crowd. I think you would have to take responsibility. It's kind of like the people who keep leaving their violins in their front seat in in San Francisco. It's like that's been reported on three times. Um, Yeah. 
if you have a violin or an oboe or something, don't, don't leave it in your front seat. I, I, I don't. Why are they calling it the turtle car? Just because it has that kind of like shell pattern on the yeah, side. There? It doesn't really look right. like a turtle, and it's not yeah. the right color. Although I, I just find horns. it really in- interesting when these art pieces come back to you know towns and cities, and we you know even if you don't go to Burning Man, you get a chance to see them. $600,000. Did they say who's paying for this? Uh, they paid for it. So the, the, the it's the husband-wife team? The husband-wife team that created the car. Wow, uh, must be nice to have yeah. 600000 extra. That's almost a house in some parts of the country. That's right. <laughs> that is, but that you is know, a house in other do parts what of the you want to do, right? You do what's important to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. I don't know. Uh, I just, I'm just imagining how much... Uh, that that money could go to do so many things. So I don't, not yeah. to be Debbie Downer, but I'm like, that's a lot of money for that. Hey, uh, you, that's what's important to them. So that's the yeah, way it is. That's just my opinion, yeah. man. Um, yeah. <laughs> speaking of cities across the country where you could definitely buy a house for 600000 yeah. we have a list here of the safest uh, cities in America. I'd like to oh, give I you love these, this list. Lists. Okay, yeah. so Nashua, New Hampshire is the safest city in America, according hmm. to a new study from the new study people. Yes. Uh, are you ready for the full top 10 list? Give it to me. Okay. Well, but first, here's the uh, the opener here. Uh, Wallet Hub released its annual uh, ranking of safest cities. The personal finance company compared 182 cities across 41 key indicators of safety. So th- th- these are including traffic fatalities per capita. Okay. Uh, not coffee per capita. Mm-hmm. Uh, c- assaults per capita. Flood risk level. Fire risk level. Okay, we're out. Uh, unemployment rate, job security, median credit score, debt-to-income ratio, and percentage Mm. of the population that is uninsured. For the final ranking, the cities were scored across three categories, home and community safety, natural disaster risk, and financial safety, okay? Okay. So they use data from the Census Bureau, Bureau of blah, 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 labor statistics, blah, blah. So number one was Nashua, New Hampshire. Number two, Columbia, Maryland. Hmm. Number three, South Burlington, Vermont. Uh, That's a nice area. Gilbert, uh, Arizona, came in number four. Number five, Warwick, Rhode Island. Huh. Uh, number six, Portland. Uh, that's Portland, oh, Oregon. Maine. Oh, Portland, Maine. Maine. Okay. Shout out to Maine. We are the number one Hello, podcast Maine. for Maine up, uh, coverage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Casper, Wyoming, comes in at number seven. Yonkers, New York, at eight. Burlington, Vermont. Uh, wow, Burlington's kind of on there twice. South Burlington and Burlington. Uh, number nine, and then Scottsdale, Arizona, comes in at number nope, ten. You'll notice that there's huh? no California. Oh. I think uh, f- uh, f- when it comes to uh, natural disasters, I think we're out. We're out. Yep. Oh, what a so, bummer. Okay. Yeah. So All there right. you go. Those are your their safest cities, and uh, in the United States, it used to be that San Jose w- always made the safest city list, but maybe with all of the you know, the police officer shortages around, especially around California, if not other places, that the list has changed a little bit. And it's interesting to me that they now include financial security, like your whether you have a job or not, maybe yeah. that goes to theft, or the mm-hmm. rise of used to be they just would look at the crime stats, you know, violent crime, property crime, but now they look at other things, which I think is interesting. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have the story about a, a, a toy that was blown up. What is this? Oh, my God. Okay. Well, listen, there's this toy that uh, I guess somebody felt like blowing it up, right? The 
there's an Instagram post by the San Bernardino County uh, Police Department, or the San Bernardino Police Department, I should say. Officers, they got this 911 call from a business owner who said he was told by a witness that an explosive device had gone off in the parking lot right in front of their business. So the surveillance footage from the scene shows a man getting out of his car and putting a teddy bear, which contained an explosive device, right next to their SUV. A woman, then seen entering a red sedan across the parking lot, appeared to be startled by the explosion as she tried to run to her car. The suspect waited for the detonation before running away. Detectives investigating found... Hmm, a ghost gun, more than 200 rounds of ammunition at the suspect's residence, over a kilogram of meth with packaging for sales, illegal aerial fireworks, a ballistic vest, lots of money, metal pipes and saws, which authorities say are consistent with explosive devices. So the suspect was arrested on several felonies, hasn't been officially identified yet, but it was all because he blew up a giant teddy bear that the police found this person and ended up arresting them for drugs, guns, and money. So there you go. Yeah, that's the problem with the people who are into these things is they really don't have the discipline, you know, to be a good criminal. (laughs) You just not, you just don't have what it takes. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, That's pretty crazy. Um, And speaking of blowing up, (laughs) this story, worker burgled home for a sex doll. What? What? How how did you know? Oh. You're about to find out. A funeral home worker who's respo- who was responsible for transporting dead bodies in a Nebraska county is suspected of having an intimate encounter with, ready for it, a life-sized sex doll he found in the apartment of a deceased person. And, of course, here's the doll. Oh, wow. You see why he was tempted. Uh, investigators say Ryan Smith, 41, and a colleague were dispatched last week to a home <laughs> in the Rock Creek Apartments in Omaha to collect the body of an individual who died there. Near the body on the bed was a very real life size. <laughs> really? So the guy, very, the person died next to their sex doll? Yeah, and wow. this is obviously very, very life size, uh, according to the investigator. Police alleged that Smith subsequently called the property manager and uh, claimed that the local sheriff had asked him to remove the sex doll to collect swabs for a biopsy. Oh, God. <laughs> a biopsy of the sex doll. Uh, his strange request was denied by the manager, who later returned to the apartment uh, to discover that Smith was inside the unit, which had been locked with a deadbolt and a chain. Jesus, this guy's motivated. Mm. After Smith exited the home with his shirt untucked and his pants in disarray, the property oh manager called police, who later busted Smith on a felony burglary charge. A post-arrest examination revealed the sex doll to be, oh, I'm sorry, sticky. And appeared oh, no! something had rubbed her inner thighs. Okay. Um, a deputy collected the sex doll so uh, it, DNA could be processed. Uh, yeah, Smith was fired from his job. I know it's hard to believe yeah. uh, from Mid-America First Call. Because uh, when you want somebody to show up very quickly, call on Mid-America First Call, which according to its website specializes in, <laughs> in removals, transportation, embalming, cremations, and ship outs. Uh, there you go. You're welcome. I think this is a perfect time to take a break. Oh, wow. We're going to take a break early. (laughs) (laughs) Kim's ready to take a break. Uh, Yeah, let's do it. And we'll be back right on the other side of this break. The After Party Live is underwritten by our audience. And without you, this show wouldn't be possible. If you can contribute $10, $15, or $20 a month, it would keep this party a rockin'. 
The PayPal link can be found in the About section of the YouTube channel or at the bottom of the show description. Any dollar amount is appreciated and it all adds up. On behalf of Kim and myself, thank you for your consideration. Aloha, bitches. It's the After Party Live. It is oh, the After I guess you could say we blew through those stories. <laughs> it blew up right there. Uh, thank you to ongoing contributors Martha D and Rachel C. And a huge, huge thank you to everyone for uh, being here, hanging out with us today as well. And I think also to, yes, to William D. Michelli. G. McKelly. G. McKelly. Dee McKelly uh, for the $2 super sticker. Thank you for that. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Uh, since you're all here, please take a moment, click the like button if you can for us. Just a little click of that thumbs up. And if you haven't subscribed, please do that as well. Uh, <laughs> Doug says, yeah, I think I must have been. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. And Judy says, yes, please take a break. Take a break. Take a break John from that says, story. Well, it is a sex doll. Well, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's what it's, what's, uh, what it was supposed to do. Chris says, girl, you're just woo. Woo. Let's move on to this house for sale or that sold in San Francisco. I didn't know that Julia Roberts had a house in San Francisco, but apparently. Yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm surprised she didn't have like a stalker or somebody like trying to like find where she lived or, you know, yeah. or maybe she did. So she lived in what Presidio Heights is the neighborhood. Yeah, it looks like it. Um, this is the house here. I believe it's, is it the one on the right? I think it's the green one. Yeah, I think um, it is. The Edwardian residence. Uh, <laughs> here you go. Well, she's already sold it, so, right? Uh, so they found a buyer. It's at 3530 Washington Street, if you want to go by and see where, where she lived. Or, you know, I'm, I'm sure she didn't time. It's currently marked as pending on real estate uh, websites, and the asking price was $11.75 million. Wow. The five-level, 6,300-foot uh, uh, square foot property boasts a panoramic view of the Golden Gate Bridge, the Bay, and the Presidio, of course, the forming, uh, former army base. Additionally, it features a private spa in the backyard. Wow. Inside, can you imagine if you're like her neighbor? You're like, okay, don't look down. Don't look down at her spa. Uh, inside the 1912 home, originally designed by ar architect uh, Sylvain, Sh I'm getting all the words down, Schnatacher? Uh, and later renovated by renowned designer John Wheatman. I can do that one. There you go. Uh, our five bedrooms, four full bathrooms, two half bathrooms. Uh, I know Brett would have been fascinated by this. An mm -hmm. office, a grand staircase, a breakfast nook, two ovens, a walk-in pantry, wood-burning fireplaces, and a wet bar. Wow, it really had everything. Yeah, How much do you think she fancy. paid for it? It's being sold for 11 point I read bucks. the article. She made a oh, mint. Okay. Yeah. It's eight point three million is how much she paid uh, yeah. in twenty twenty. So she hasn't had the house that long. So I guess that explains it's only been a little over three years. It was like a no, pandemic purchase. Harry a Julia purchase. is not included. No, <laughs> no, that is interesting though. She bought it right before the pandemic, like a month or two before. I don't know, John, how much time she spent there. Maybe people in the neighborhood saw her. I didn't even know she had a house in San Francisco. Maybe but... that's where she was uh, during the Shh. pandemic. This article said she had she had homes all has homes all over the place in yeah, Malibu I mean, and Los Angeles and New York and different cities. So this is just one of many for her. Must be nice, right? Yeah, I did not see her walking around. Another house that this one's a goner. Just poof is out. Remember the old house on the Bewitched show? No, no, no. I don't remember the house. I remember the nose wiggle. And so the, there was and the, and the mother-in-law, right? I guess at the mother. beginning there was a panoramic view of just the house. So it's not the inside oh, of the house, right? It's just the outside of the house. But it was on the Bewitched show, um, 
and it was on the Warner Brothers lot. And so this they, is the lot. Yeah, they raised it. That it's gone. This uh, this house is is been knocked down to well, make actually, way. It's not the Warner Brothers lot. It's it's a separate property. It's the Warner Brothers ranch. Oh my bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so this was like their like their overflow kind of like. It's more in Burbank. Spread out. Yeah. Spread it's out on space. Hollywood Way, and right. they decided they wanted to put office buildings here, so they knocked down the facade of the old bewitched house. There oh, is the facade. Yeah. And so I mean, it looked like a house, but inside it was really nothing. It was just for the used for the shot. Yeah. Still, but I think the whole neighborhood was just uh, these uh, the front the fake fronts of houses. houses. Yeah. Still is a piece of history, right? So yeah. sad to see that go. Um, but they've been raising their back lot to make way for office buildings. Um, the this one was on Friday the thirteenth. They demolished it, and the fans of the show say, "Yeah, it sucks." But as long as we keep the show alive by watching it, Morning Glory Circle will always be with us. This show ended fifty years ago. Um, wow. People are upset that they're tearing it down. The house meant so much to so many people. I think you'll be fine if the house isn't standing anymore. But um, yeah, so they want to build office buildings here and something had to go. So goodbye, Bewitched House. Sayonara, sucker. Yeah, somebody has to pay for that merger with uh, Discovery. That's uh, right. It also, you'll recognize this fountain. This is the fountain from Friends. So they had already relocated this fountain um, from the Warner Brothers ranch to the Warner mm -hmm. Brothers lot. So yeah. that that and that's included in the in the you know the the tour that that you was go important on. enough to save. <laughs> well, I think it's it's, it's house well money wise. I think it would bring yeah. people to the to the you know the Warner yeah. Brothers uh, tour. That's true. Right? Yeah, it's about yeah. money, Kim. I don't know if you noticed it's this. Always we is. want to build new offices. Speaking of money, huge thank you to Spencer Jaffe for the $5 super sticker uh, and the anniversary wishes, I guess, for both Nikki and Mark's show. Thank you. Or maybe thank he's you. celebrating our uh, the our, our two-month anniversary. Two yeah. Month, yeah, our two-and-a-half-month yeah. anniversary. Thanks, thank Spencer so Jaffe. We appreciate that. Yay. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, this used to be the Columbia lot, like the Columbia Ranch originally. Mm -hmm. So it was it was used by Columbia Pictures uh, starting in the 1930s, Columbia Pictures and then Warner Brothers. So there are a lot of uh, like I think this fountain was also used in Bewitched. So that's how it, you know, all these back lots, they, they just repurpose it, you know, especially for movies, one time mm -hmm. things like Back to the Future. They'll, you know, you'll recognize like, oh, that was also in a TV show, that kind of thing. Right. Well, let's move to the grandparent names. I had a lot of okay. people were excited about hearing the story. I got a couple messages. Oh, I can't wait to hear. I'm expecting a grandchild and what have you. So I don't know what you called your grandparents, but a lot of people are moving away from grandma, grandpa, and they're going to different names. Yeah. I called my grandma Tutu, which is grandma in Hawaiian. Uh, it was Tutu and grandpa for me. And then I my grandma Mac uh, for on the McAllister side of the family. But a lot of people are like, no, I don't want the grandma, grandpa. I want something different. And so I have a list of the most popular names. The survey that was done in the United States shows that for grandmothers in the United States, the top name is Gigi. What? Mm -hmm, Gigi. I've never Followed heard that for grandma. Followed by Nana. Okay, that makes sense. Followed by Mimi, which is what my mom is called, Mimi. That makes sense. Followed by Gran. And then okay. number five is BB. And oh, number two is Momo. Momo. I haven't heard that. Momo. I think that might be a, 
a, a lot of t- Italian people call their grandma Momo, but I don't know. That's so also a G- restaurant, right? Gigi, Nana, Mimi, Grand, BB, Momo. You're talking. You're thinking of SF Momos. Yeah. For grandfathers, the most used alternative names are Poppy, Pops, Pappy, Gpa. I love this one. Number G-Paw. five, Grand Dude. <laughs> hey, I Grand don't Dude. Think I've ever heard that? And six, Papa. So they looked at each state. Wait, what was the last one? Papa, P-A-P-A, Papa. Oh, number six. Oh, I thought you said Poppy, Pops, Poppy, P-A-P-I, okay. g Grand Dude, and Papa. Yeah. So the, the survey looked at the top names in, in every state, and they excluded Grandma and Grandpa. So these are all just the, like, you know, the nicknames, the other names. And there are regional variations. So in some, instead of Mama, it's Ma-Ma, M-A-W, M-A-W. Right. That was in Alabama, Indiana, yeah, Ohio, and Wisconsin. Pop Pop for grandfather was most common in Pennsylvania, Maryland, North Carolina, Missouri, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. Abuelo, Spanish for grandfather and abuela, were the most popular in states with large Spanish-speaking populations, including California and Florida. So abuelo, abuela. That makes sense, but that I mean that's mm-hmm. grandpa, grandma. So if they're excluding in a grandma, different language, grandpa, yes, yeah, it's a different language, same thing. I don't know if it counts as a nickname because it's still saying grandma, grandpa. It's just yeah. in your own language. But some people did shorten it to abuelo and abuela, okay. and they just took the okay. ah off. Yeah. So apparently, according to the people who did the study, it sounds like, from their perspective, grandparents don't want to be seen as old people. They want to be seen instead as active, productive citizens who play a critical role in the lives of their grandchildren. So, yeah, they um, they go through a lot of there's a lot of comments about this uh, and people are saying, you know, what their what their grandkids call them. And I thought this comment was really funny. My daughter constantly heard my mother-in-law call my father-in-law honey, as in, honey, please pass the butter. So that's what my daughter calls her grandfather, honey. She's called him honey for her whole life. I thought that was really cute. Here's another one. Lisa doesn't um, call him uh, butter. Exactly. For abuelita (laughs) or abuelo, my son invented abba. So instead of abuela, abba. Abba for mother, and it inspired us to refer to my deceased father as Abbo. Abba That's very Abbo. popular in uh, Sweden. Is it? Abba? Um, my daughter... Abba? Abba? Becky in California Bueller? says... Bueller? No. My daughter calls her maternal grandfather Papa Cupcake because he has the sweet, biggest sweet tooth and gives her treats. Papa Cupcake. I thought that was oh, cute. Oh, that's sweet. Speaking of sweet... Anyway, yeah. West T, $5 from oh, West T, West, Super Sticker. Thank you. With That's his really 3D nice. printed C3PO in the background. A very cool. Love it. Thanks, Jim West. Slayton, another Jim! $5 Super Sticker with all the dogs. Did we, we figure awesome. out how many dogs there are, right? Yeah, five. Was it six? Thank you, Jim. Okay, you're one, awesome. Two, three, four, was it, five. It, was it five? I thought it was one, five. Two, yeah. Three, four. Uh, but thank you guys and uh, congratulations to the person who messaged saying that uh, you're going to be a, a a new grandparent. Uh, I hope oh, everything nice. goes well and congratulations to you for that. This next story I thought was really interesting about masculine marketing. So marketing targeted just to dudes, grand Bro. dudes. Yeah, yeah. I like the whole idea of like targeting to dudes because it's like our body wash. You know, the the packaging yeah. has to be like masculine colors like you can get away with like a dark maroon but it's usually got to be like blue or black um when coke zero first came out you know it's funny your your voice your voice dropped like two octaves when you're like that was intentional that was intentional bro (laughs) that was without the filter if i add the filter it's way masculine uh 
<laughs> but Coke Zero came out with the black can, right? Yeah. Originally. Uh, now it's it's like inverted colors with red and black, but uh, it's always like, yeah, dude, this is a, this isn't for girls. This is for dudes. Right. Um, well, uh, let's check this out. Here's a here's a dude with his food. Can masculine marketing boost men's interest in vegan food? Uh, we've all heard it before. Eating plant based meals is not only healthier for us, but beneficial for the planet. Yet the age old perception associates meat eating with masculinity, making it challenging for a lot of men to embrace veganism or even vegetarianism. So a new study from our friends is asking, do plant based diets need an image makeover? Uh, gender stereotypes often lab label vegan diets as more suitable for women. Uh, come on. Uh, leaving men out of the picture, the new study probes the potential of marketing to bridge this gap. Men might be less inclined to consume vegan food due to the, the need to perform gender, says the study's lead author, who performed the research at the University of Würzburg and is now studying at Stockholm University, uh, where ABBA is very popular. However, with vegan food being framed in a masculine way, men might feel less resistance and feel uh, and become more likely to consume it. I think this is, I mean, this kind of, this perpetuates society in more ways than one right mm -hmm. it's like men have to perform a certain way they can only you know baby uh, boys need to be dressed in blue and girls need to be dressed in pink right i think this is uh, part of a bigger problem right uh, gender yeah. stereotypes so it includes food choices men are more inclined to consume in a gendered way to steer social perception i find that really funny just eat what you want to eat right yeah i don't know how do you feel i don't know i i just feel like uh I don't know why men feel like they, if something is feminine, it doesn't apply to them. Yeah, I just, just well, be healthy. Why can't you be secure in your masculinity? And right. this goes along with like toxic mas masculinity. 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 Uh, if mm -hmm. Masculinity. <laughs> if you if if you're that fragile, you've got some issues to work on, right? I mean, I guess it used to be meat and potatoes, where you know the men eat the big meat, right? It's just, you, you know, what's also like masculine, like yeah. living a long, healthy life. So you're there right. for your kids when they graduate yeah. <laughs> and to see and to become a grandpa or a na na or shana na na na, what are we going to call your grandpa uh, to test the power of marketing in the domain? Researchers altered the presentation and description of vegan dishes. This is so funny with masculine words to see how men responded. They also gauged the participants alignment with traditional masculinity and their general take on veganism. What are the masculine words like a hearty dose of um, big raw vegetables. <laughs> How do you? What do you? Yeah, they they don't have the words here, but I imagine it's like something boosting, like the man boosting, like protein, oh. plant plant based protein or something yeah. like that. Uh, scientists found the results intri intriguing. Women predictably lean more towards veganism. However, yeah. well, the masculine marketing didn't particularly. That's my word for today. That I'm getting difficult. Particularly, with. particularly. Mm -hmm. Uh, boost men's pref uh, preference for vegan dishes, it did shift their perception of these dishes from being uh, feminine to being more neutral. Mm. <laughs> Baby steps here. Men uh, less aligned with traditional masculinity showed more responsiveness to this masculine marketing. So these mm -hmm. are probably the same people that are like a little too toxic with their masculinity. Yeah. yeah so um, it's from the uh, journal uh, Frontiers in Communication, which I know you follow closely. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm all I over thought that, that was one. interesting. It's just, yeah. come on, like, Society is evolving, but maybe not fast enough.
some of the uh, some things I just wanted to go over. Uh, but before you do, Beth, Beth Farmer. Yay! Thank you for the super sticker. What a nice surprise. Wow. That's so lovely. Thank you for that. Um, I wanted to, we got some good text that I wanted to go through. Okay. Bren says, we're grams and pops. That's cute. Sea okay. Dog says, I called my grandma Nana. Is it Nana? Yeah, Nana. Yeah. Natalie says, my grandma was Mama in Louisiana. Yeah, okay. that fits. Yeah, it is a Southern Heather thing. says, my nephew calls my parents Go-Go and Pop-Pop. That's kind of cute. Yeah, especially since he's 14 and still does it. Go-Go and Pop-Pop. Um, and Jim says, Lolo and Lola. It's Filipino. Okay. Lolo and Lola, yeah. yeah. And then uh, Momo, Mama de Three Boys says, my parents are Mama and Papa. My in-laws are Nana and Tata. What makes sense to have those like simple, those simplified those simplified <laughs> yeah. sounds? When I was younger, I called my older sister BB, which was on your yeah. list for grandmas. Yeah, and uh, it's stuck to today. <laughs> my my mom reminded me. She was like, "Remember, you used to call your sister BB." I'm like, oh, "I still do." Oh, that's funny. So some of those um, stick. Jacob would used to not be able to pronounce Julia, so he'd call for her Julia with like oh, J U Y A yeah. Julia. He yeah, doesn't that say sense. that anymore, but it's kind of cute. Um, okay, let's talk about what's happening down at the uh, Moffett Airfield, NASA Ames Research Center. There's about to be a brand new setup where UC Berkeley is building a $2 billion space research center. Whoa. It's just seven miles from Stanford, so they're kind of encroaching uh -oh. on They're horning Stanford in on their space. territory. Mm -hmm. So UC Berkeley is building this $2 billion space research center on NASA property in Mountain it View. It kind of looks like the Apple campus. A little bit, doesn't it? It's, like, it's yeah. going to be really fancy. Thousands of new science jobs, a million square feet of office space for private partners, acres of classrooms and laboratories, all aimed at breaking through boundaries on the Earth and beyond. They're going to call it the Berkeley Space Center at NASA Research Park. 36 acres at historic Moffett Field, seven miles east of Palo Alto, so they can wave at their friends at Stanford. Uh, they're going to still have to work through environmental approvals over the ne next couple of years. But if everything pans out, they could start moving in uh, by 2027. So they're kind of exciting. They say it's a historic and extraordinary day for UC Berkeley, our academic mission, and the public. Students will eventually spend a semester at the Berkeley Space Center, similar to how they spend a half year studying abroad. They think that this UC Berkeley Space Center will generate $40 million a year for the university. That's from real estate income, research funding, and other sources. And they'll spend about $750,000 a year on faculty. So a $750,000 a year expenditure for $40 million a year. Okay. So far... Is uh, this the same school that like doesn't have enough money for housing? House, student housing, how, how much, and everything else. How much else? are they spending? Right. It's a $2 billion center. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But... They think that that by putting this in the South Bay, it would cement the California primacy in space technology and add a significant Bay Area complement to other established spots like the Johnson Space Center in Texas and the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And California's uh, innovation would then be cemented. Governor Gavin Newsom says seems like he's for it. So there you go. And uh, it's it's Mountain View. Did you say what city it was in? Yeah, it's Mountain View. It's so this the, would be like it, the the, the Cal Berkeley at, Bears of Mountain View. It's down at Mo it's Moffitt. 
Yeah, I don't think they would be the Berkeley Bears of Mountain View. I don't think they're going to call themselves that, no. Well, I, I thought maybe they could follow 49ers lead. Oh, you think so? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of cool. What This is what we're going to see down at, uh, at yeah. Moffett Field. Yeah. It is Mountain View, yeah. Um, interesting. Uh, I don't know how Stanford's going to feel about that. They might have to, to open something up in the East Bay, maybe next to gonna, Ikea. They're going to plant the tree in the middle yeah. of that square or that circle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Stanford Cardinal. Um, moving on, uh, let's see here. We have the story about the holidays. That you know, the holidays are approaching. I don't know if uh, Costco has uh, alerted you to this, but uh, it's Christmas already at Costco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As the holidays approach, shoppers are in the mood to spend on their homes and themselves. Uh, spending on the holiday season is, is expected to rebound to even surpass pre-pandemic levels for the first time this year. But surprisingly, it's not gifts that consumers will be splurging on. Is this surprising? Um, on in the run up to Christmas, according to a new report uh, on Tuesday, the years and the year and months of November and December typically are dominated by shoppers scouring stores uh, for seasonal merchandise, right, including gifts. The two months mm -hmm. combined are also a good barometer of the spending power of the consumer and are critical for retailers, accounting for a, you know as much as a fifth of annual sales, right? This is when companies go into the black. But heading into the festive season, households have uh, had their guard up. I don't know about you, but like they're spending less because of pressures on their wallets. Um, mostly due to inflation, right? The cost, cost of gas, uh, the resumption of student loan payments is now a factor. Uh, but the 2023 Deloitte Holiday Retail Survey, which pulled f uh, over 4,300 consumers, found shoppers are eager to get going on their holiday shopping and maybe even indulging on themselves. Among the findings, mm -hmm. consumers are expected to spend an, on average, 1,652 on holiday-related purchases, up 14% from last year and surpassing the average of, you know, just under 1500 in uh, 2019. Um, but they said in an interview with CNN that three factors have highly uh, likely contributed to the uptick. More consumers will be actively celebrating the holiday season, 95% versus 92% uh, in, uh, in 2022 and 88% in 2021. A majority of shoppers are expecting to pay higher prices on festive products and middle to higher income households will be the high spenders. The survey also found that consumers this year are prioritizing non-gift purchases. As many as 82% of mm. shoppers said that their plan is to spend on non-gift purchases such as decorations. That's up uh, from 77% last year. It's not quite back up to 2019 levels, but it's inching up. While gift spending is still expected to grow, um, the report said that people plan to buy one fewer gift versus last year. Um, so I don't know about you. Like, have, have you thought about this? Like how much you're spending on gifts? I've been kind of trying to piece it out because, you know, uh, without a job, like a full-time job that where I'm working for a company like Cumulus yeah. or KGO, you know, you have to cut back a little bit. So I've been trying to piece out my, I don't know how much I'm spending, but I, I know it's not going to be as much as it was. Yeah. Yeah. So they're saying that the, the largest category of uptick are these, um, these non-gift, the non-gift group. Mm -hmm. um, which is, I guess it makes sense that people are cutting back and they have to be a little more frugal, like you're saying. Perry says, bah humbug. I do not want to hear about holidays until after Halloween. And thank you for the $5 super Hey, you know what? Uh, Costco starts you out in August and we did hold it's out true. two months. So yeah. There you mm -hmm. go. Um, do we have video of this cool drone footage? Because we've talked a lot about drones delivering your Amazon packages and earlier on uh, Mark's show, we saw some drones delivering medical uh, items to people. But these are different kinds of drones. This is a new delivery service that you, you, uh, utilizes drones. Part of 
the a tour of Amazon's Delivering the Future Day. The Prime Air Launchpad delivers packages with drones within three and a half miles of the facility. There you go. Look at that. Um, I needed to find footage that wouldn't get a sting, so I'll do the sound effect. Oh. <laughs> Am I muted? No? Okay. There it is going around. Oh, 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 oh. There's it your package. Spit something plop, plop. out. There it is. Hopefully it wasn't breakable. <laughs> <laughs> the goal is to get packages delivered in 60 minutes or less. So we thought it was cool that you could order something and then a day and a half to two days later, it was sitting on your porch. Well, yeah. now it's going to be within 60 minutes. So I need something. I click on Amazon. I talk about convenient. Well, <laughs> yeah, it just pooped out the package. That's yeah, kind of everybody. what it looked like. Blap. Yeah, that seems yeah. to be uh, what everyone's thinking. That's the consensus here. It looks yeah. like it's pooping. Blap, anyway, blap. we wanted to show you that video, so... That was yeah, so we did an original that won't get a copyright strike. That was yeah. original sound effects. I don't know if you know that. That's really, really impressive. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, the show owns that. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, yeah, this is what we were, I was talking about before when we covered drones. It's like people are like, oh, yeah, it's going to be cool. It's going to be cool. Imagine like going out on a walk and yeah. now your neighborhood is just all day long. Not just one you know, guy with his like hobby drone, but And can they see if other drones are coming and is there going to be drone accidents and they drop to the earth? They have avoidance systems, but yeah, do you think those are going to work 100% of the time? Interesting. Yeah, Kathleen's asking, am I the only one who thinks these will be shot out of the sky? Oh, but to steal the stuff? Yeah. Or just to, you know, just to menace you know, just to be a menacing uh, mm-hmm. factor here. I, I just feel like it's going to be annoying and we need to think about our quality of life. Yeah. You know, these things are not quiet and they're going to obstruct your view of the sky and imagine, you know, you see how many packages are dropped off. The, yeah. the building here that I live in, it's like, it looks like an Amazon warehouse downstairs and it's like three <laughs> times a day that there's, yeah. you know, they drop off more packages. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm just a little hesitant. Um, I think it's going to have a negative impact, especially in smaller towns, you know, where it's quiet. It won't be quiet anymore. No, and the sky, the sky will be full of buzzing. Yeah, uh, buzzing, bu- asks, buzzing, pooping drones. If we write swear for oh, swear words in the chat, does it get dinged? Does the show get dinged? Theoretically, mm. yes. I don't know that it has. Sometimes the chat will disappear if someone goes off and says something controversial. Um, we have they, to answer questions right about whether the show afterwards we're done in order to show advertisements we have to a- answer questions about yeah. whether there's anything inappropriate for kids yeah, on that's the, show. the number one concern it's yeah. not whether or not in most cases yeah. it's not whether or not the, sh- the show will get taken off it's that uh, mm-hmm. will we become demonetized because advertisers don't want to associate with potty words or yeah. in this case um the the green leaf that people smoke uh mm-hmm. we have to stop putting that up on the screen otherwise it completely demonetizes the show Um, So it but here's the thing like they have all these different categories of what you can and can't say but the AI is very arbitrary in what it picks up Mm -hmm. so possibly possibly it could demonetize us but you know we don't know better just not to I guess or just shorten it or abbreviate yeah or come up with a different word EFFF is always a good one there you go um we have this new cancer treatment that's interesting involving sound waves yeah, you know, we were talking about that, yes, uh, was it yesterday or the day before, about hoping that someday there would be like a Star Trek-like scanner where you could just, you know, yeah. you know detect that cancer is there and then and then easily get rid of it. Well, I'm hoping nice. that this is going to be the next breakthrough. I mean, they're working on, you know, they're working on all these things and 
That's why I think it's really His, important for us to spend money on Huh. Yeah. So um, here's how it works. A uh, promising cancer treatment that blasts tumors using sound waves, and it's been approved in the U.S. It's a machine uh, uses, how did you say it? Histotripsy. Yeah, okay. You're going to be the designated uh, pronouncer of that word. A technique that uses sound waves to break down tumors has been approved to treat liver tumors by the U.S. FDA. It uses targeted sound waves like an ultrasound machine to form micro bubbles within the tumor. Mm. Uh, the forces generated as the bubbles expand and collapse rapidly cause the cancerous mass to break apart, destroying the tumor cells and leaving the debris to be eliminated by the immune system. This is really cool. Uh, the approval of the treatment means patients will be able to get the treatment for liver cancer without the side effects of radiation or chemotherapy. I think oh, this is the future. I, that's we a need, game changer. Look yeah, at that. Technologies like this, like this is what we need to invest our money in. And this is why we need to spend but money on science and research. If, just because you can collapse the tumor with air bubbles, does that mean that it still won't spread? Because I think the chemo and the radiation kind of zaps the area around it to limit the spread, right? Well, the problem with the with the with the, those treatments is that it kills the mm -hmm. healthy part too. Yeah, right? that's true. So, that's true. And, and, yeah. and yeah, you're gonna stop it from spreading, but and then in a lot of cases it comes back. So as mm -hmm. if you can keep treating with uh, with this treatment that doesn't have side effects, right? And if you right. can get it all, right? Because that's the one thing, like uh, when you have certain cancers, they go in and try to get it all and they try to cut out on the edges and they hope that they cut out enough, right? Um, mm -hmm. But if you can keep going back and getting treated, if a little bit appears, um, this is very promising. It's um, it's sold by this company, Histosonics, um, and uh, it's uh, being sold to hospitals and doctors to use in patients, obviously. It costs 12500 per procedure. So, wow. I mean... Obviously, this, okay, this... that's that's not very much. <laughs> when you're thinking about how much cancer treatment costs, right. and you hear people on the hook for hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to raise these money that insurance yeah. company, this money that insurance companies have, have denied treatment right. for twelve point twelve thousand. This is per treatment, so we don't know. Yeah. I don't think how we know here how many treatments you need. Yeah. Um, but of course, if it's cost, if it's covered by insurance, I mean, a lot of cancer medications, like my father's cancer medication, was yeah, I think it was a hundred thousand per year. Wow. Right. See? So, yeah, uh, the procedure is performed under general anesthesia. So this is where the costs are coming in. Right. You have mm. to have somebody administering the anesthesia. It's done alongside with a live ultrasound of the liver to enable the radiologist to locate and blast the tumor. Right. So mm -hmm. they need like a guide. Um, to, is to get it at. only for liver cancer or is it for other cancers as well? It looks like right now this is just liver. The rest of the procedure okay. is fully automated. Attached to the end of the robotic arm is a transducer, a device that converts electrical energy into ultrasound energy. Uh, the software calculates how much energy is needed to create a powerful enough bubble cloud to kill the tumor with focused ultrasound waves converging at a focal point. Um, and then, as we said, once the tumor, the debris is liquefied, it will naturally absorb back into the body. And the debris uh, created causes uh, like a scar tissue. But you'd rather have scar tissue than cancer cells, right? Yeah. Um, there is a small risk uh, for nearby blood vessels or in the case of uh, liver cancer, bile ducts. Um, so it says... it. I guess the implication there is they may be able to use this for other uh, kinds of cancers, but um, mm. they're doing animal studies, and I think they'll they'll figure out what what else they could use this on. You know, here's the results in the first study: fifty to seventy five percent of liver tumor volume in rats was destroyed by histotripsy, and the rat's immune system cleared away the rest. No tumors recurred or spread in more than 80% of animals. A second study showed the sound waves also breaking down cancer cells' wall cloak, revealing proteins in the immune system can uh, be used to recognize the threats. 
So by killing the cancer cell's outer wall, the tumor's antigens are laid bare for the immune system to use for targeted attacks on other cancer cells to prevent recurring tumors. So they've been doing this trial, human trial, since 2021 at the University of Michigan, and mostly being used on liver to treat liver tumors and liver cancer, that that cancer that is spread beyond the liver. This is really interesting and very promising. Yeah, and you they do say they do mention here. I didn't see this before at the end that it may be used in the future to treat renal and pancreatic tumors. So oh, it wow. sounds like they're. We'll find out. It's like stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. This is really interesting. Yeah, histotripsy, huh? I think yeah. we're going to be Wes hearing a lot that more that about it. that cost is ridiculous. It's a machine you build once and reuse it. So it's not the machine necessarily. I mean, obviously they're paying for the machine, but it's, yeah. it's everything else that's involved, right? You have to have um, you have to have somebody, you have to have an MD there to administer mm, the, the anesthesia. ultrasound tech, all that stuff. Yeah, and then you yeah. have a radiologist. Those are two very expensive employees. So, so it's my husband's mom had a bout with cancer and she was treated it was renal cancer and she was treated at university of michigan they're from michigan she lives there and um they did something with stem cells they took her stem cells they did something to it in a lab they injected it back into her and her cancer went away Wow. Crazy. Like she's been in remission for years. University of Michigan, they have some really interesting things going on there. Histotripsy, something we're going to need to keep our eye on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> and I get a uh, little uh, sound effect every time I say it. That's nice. Yeah, well, you said it correctly. Oh, okay. I've, 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 I've stumbled upon, across enough words today that I let you have that one. Yeah, thank you. We've got this teacher shortage in the United States and it's not going away. And public schools are still having issues trying to hire teachers. 86% of public schools in the United States are struggling to hire teachers. Nearly nine out of 10 public school districts struggle to hire teachers heading into the school year. And a lot of people just don't want a low salary. The National Center for Education Statistics monthly survey of public schools says that's really the main reason why potential new hires are deterred. When they find out what the starting salary is, they're like, thanks, but no thanks. The federal agency, the National Center for Education Statistics, uh, surveyed more than 1,300 K-12 schools in mid-August. And they say the shortages were the most common in subjects that have been difficult to fill for years. And those are special education, science, and foreign languages. My kid's school was looking for a Spanish teacher all last year, Mm -hmm. never found one. The whole year long advertising in every school newsletter, if you know of a Spanish teacher, could never find one. So um, the the survey only apparently captures sentiment at just a sliver of the nation's public schools, showing overall sentiments about staffing have improved somewhat since last year. But as always, it's always the poor school districts, the high poverty districts continue to report understaffing. 45% of all public schools reported feeling understaffed, down from 53% in last year's survey. But again, this schools in low poverty neighborhoods saw a 10-point drop in perceptions of understaffing from 52% reporting feeling understaffed in the last school year to 42% this year. Yet in the high poverty neighborhoods, understaffing persists at 57%, the same level as last year. So they're having trouble with this, you know, finding teachers, finding teachers that want the job, that will accept the pay. And then 
are good at what they do and are passionate about kids. It's it's yeah. it's hard. Here's an idea. Let's pay school teachers what they're worth. <gasps> no. Yeah. Yeah. Since you mentioned Spanish, um, just reminding my Spanish teacher, Mrs. Holly, shout out. She was the teacher in Peggy Sue Got Married. She was an ex, oh. uh, uh, more than an extra. She was the teacher in the in the, That's in the cool. scene when they, they go right to the classroom with Peggy Sue. Um, pretty cool. Shout out to Mrs. Holly. My Spanish teacher, not to bring this party down, my Spanish teacher. Hey, we still have 20 seconds. School, go ahead. Died. Oh, well, that, that did it. Thanks, Kim. Yeah. You're welcome. Wow. Yeah, my with Spanish 20 teacher seconds died. To spare, you got yeah. in right under the line. In wah, high school. Wah, wah. He was there one day and he was gone the next. That's wow. it. Wow. Yeah. 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 That's a teacher shortage. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for bringing us down. Uh, we've hit the Thank one you. hour mark. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you to all the people that helped and contributed to the show today. Spencer Jaffe with a $5 super sticker. And Wes, who... Uh, Thank you so much, Wes. Jim Slayton, you are awesome as well. And Beth Farmer with $20. We've got Harry with $5. You guys, thank you for all the ways you support the show. Uh, you can find us. The uh, PayPal information is at the bottom of the show description every day. So if that's something you want to do, we appreciate any way you support the show. And thank you and to ongoing contributors Martha D. and Rachel C. Yeah. Uh, we're the little the little show that could. And uh, yeah. The dollars really go a long way to making the show sustainable. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.